Hi everyone, Laszlo Montgomery here with the Season 5 Closer. Wow, this was a quick 20 weeks. This Chinese saying for today is pretty famous and comes to us all the way from the Zhanzhongji, the world inside a pillow. Other English names for this work include the pillow tale or the dream on the pillow. Popularly, this story is remembered as the golden millet dream, among other names, and the genre of Chinese fiction that our Chengyu comes from is called Chuanqi. These Chuanqi stories originated from the Zhiguaixiaoshuo stories that started showing up in the Han and evolved over the centuries leading up to the Tang Dynasty. This is a genre of Chinese literature filled with tales full of mystery and imagination, often containing all kinds of macabre and supernatural elements. The most famous person in the Chinese pantheon of literary figures associated with these works was the early Qing dynasty writer Pu Songling. This book, the Zhanzhongji, is attributed to one Shen Jiji, who lived 750 to 797. These were the years that included the Anshu Rebellion, as well as the reigns of Suzong, Daizong, and Dezong. Not the best years of the Tang Dynasty. The Golden Millet Dream, Huang Liang, Mei Meng. Huang Liang, that's eh, a fine strain of millet. I don't think I've ever partaken of this stuff. Millet is a cereal crop that is embraced in developing countries, mostly because it grows well in hot climates and has a short growing season. It's not very demanding as far as agricultural crops go. India, China, and Niger are the big three producers in the world. Mei is beautiful, and Meng is a dream. A Mei Meng is a beautiful dream. Millet, beautiful dream. This one has a nice long story attached to it. Once again, taken from Shan Chi's work, the Zhanchong Chi, the world inside a pillow. And it took place in the ancient city of Handan, once the capital of the state of Zhao during the Zhou Dynasty Warring States period. It's one of China's most ancient cities, going back to the Shang, located in southernmost Hebei, not very far north of the Shang Dynasty capital near Anyang. And this is all happening during the reign of Tang Emperor Xuanzong, just prior to the years author Shan Jiqi lived. There's more than one version of the story about the golden millet dream. They're all basically the same narrative with different characters. It involves two men. One was a Taoist priest surnamed Liu and believed to be Liu Dongbin, one of the eight immortals of Taoism. In another one of the stories, the Liu Dongbin character is replaced with another immortal, Zhong Li Quan. The other name I mostly ran across uh, for the priest was Liu Wang. Wang means old man, so that'd be old man Liu, whatever his name. He was a Taoist priest. The other character was a scholar official named Lu Sheng, and like many people dissatisfied with their lot in life, Lu Sheng believed he had been given a bum rap. He was no longer a spring chicken, but he was still young enough to have a fire in his belly, and he felt heaven was working against him, denying him the life he aspired to. Time had passed him by, and his work as a petty official in the civil service brought him neither wealth nor honor. In fact, 
Lu Sheng was barely getting by, living just enough for the city. On the way back to his farm, Lu Sheng found himself in Handan for the evening and looked for an inn to find shelter for the night. He had been on official duties and was on his way back home to deal with matters in his village. So he pulled into this modest inn, paid his fee, and was given a space on the floor and a mat of some kind to lay upon. Another fellow had already checked into the inn, and Lu Sheng's space was adjacent to this man. And this Taoist priest was surnamed Liu. So these two, they got on famously right from the start, and they got to talking. In the course of their conversation, the priest asked Lu Sheng if he was doing well for himself. Lu Sheng at once grew bitter and proceeded to go on a rant about how tatty his clothes were and the meagerness of his traveling get-up, and then he bowed his head and sighed. He looked up and declared, By rights I should be a successful and learned gentleman, but my ill fortune has reduced me to such undignified circumstances. Priest Liu replied, Why do you say your circumstances are poor? You're young, with firm muscles and a healthy glow. And besides this, just now you were speaking in a lively manner and we were laughing happily. Why the sudden change in your tone? Lu Sheng said, Man, I'm only just getting by, not really living the good life like I should. What do you mean by saying that your life isn't any good? asked Priest Liu. If you don't think your life is any good, then... What sort of life would you like to lead? I'll tell you, Lu Sheng said, fixing his eye on the priest. Living well means winning fame for yourself and honor for your family, he went on. It means being a brave general in the army and a wise chancellor in the imperial court. It means that you host great feasts and hire dancing girls to make merry with hundreds of honored guests who all swarm to your abode at every opportunity. It means that you're clan prospers, and you are wealthy enough to satisfy every one of their needs. Only when one has achieved all this can one be said to have led a good life. He went on, when I was young, I studied hard and learned every skill necessary to achieve this sort of existence. I thought that when I grew up, I would easily become a court official, decked out in splendid garments. But now that I'm in the prime of life... I'm still worrying about insignificant things like the fields and the harvest. Was this my fate? Saying this, Lu Sheng sighed again, closed his eyes, and proceeded to recline on the floor to take a nap. As this was all going on, the innkeeper was within eyesight, and he was boiling up some millet for the evening meal. No one paid him any heed. Priest Liu, or Liu Wang, he took a pillow out of his pocket, and handed it to Lu Sheng, and he said, Here, lay your head on this pillow. That will bring you good fortune, just like you wished for. The pillow was made of porcelain and had two small holes on either end. Lu Sheng rested his head upon it and fell into a slumber. In his dreams, the small pillow seemed to grow in size until the holes became big enough and bright enough to walk through. Lu Sheng wriggled through one of the holes and suddenly found himself back home on the family farm. And not long into this dream, after studying hard to become a scholar official, he was lucky enough to win the hand of one Miss Cui from a neighboring town. 
and Miss Tsui was not only beautiful, but came with a huge dowry. And from that point on, Lu Sheng's circumstances began to improve rapidly. The next year, he passed the regional civil service exams with flying colors and was promoted to regional high office. By now, he had cast off his old clothes of coarse cloth and put on official garments instead. And the year after that, he entered the imperial civil service exams and was appointed the position of vice prefect of Weinan County in east-central Shanxi. And from there, he was promoted multiple times until finally he worked directly under the emperor, drafting speeches and imperial edicts. Then he was given the important position of prefect of Shanzhou District, western Hunan province. As prefect, he worked avidly on improving his district's waterways, and he oversaw the construction of more than 80 li of canals in Shanzhou, which made transport within the district much better. All the people under his jurisdiction loved and respected him. They even erected a memorial in his honor. Later in his dream, he was transferred to posts in Bianzhou, modern-day Kaifeng, and Lingnan in the south of China until he was finally promoted back to a post in the capital. At this time, the emperor was worrying over invasions from the Tibetan Tubo tribes on China's borders. The imperial army had just suffered huge losses in northwest Gansu and Guazhou against the Tubo and lost one of its best generals. The people of Guazhou were shaken and terrified. To this newly vacant position of leadership in Guazhou, the emperor saw fit to appoint Lu Sheng. In Guazhou, Lu led an army which broke through enemy lines and caused 7,000 enemy casualties. He reoccupied 900 li of territory and oversaw the construction of three major city walls. From then on, areas of military importance in Guazhou were well protected. And the people of this area also admired and respected him and recorded his great deeds by carving them in stone. Lu Sheng returned to the imperial capital covered in glory. The emperor rewarded him handsomely and promoted him yet again. Because of his new promotion and his achievements, Lu was extremely popular with both the courtiers and the people. But the emperor's prime minister started to become jealous of Lu Sheng and spread evil rumors about him. The emperor's mind was swayed, and as it happened, Lu was demoted from his position in the capital to one in Duanzhou, southern Guangdong. After three years, however, he was once again summoned to the capital and promoted until he performed some of the duties of the prime minister. He and two other officials held court for ten years as the emperor's most indispensable advisors. Because they were men of strong integrity, who gave good advice, they were summoned to private audiences with the emperor multiple times a day. Lu was known for his wisdom and clear-sightedness and gained the moniker the virtuous minister, the Xianxiang. Once again, however, courtiers saw him enjoying all this favor and privilege and, well, as it was with every dynasty of every nation's history, there were those who became jealous or resentful of him. And they spread rumors that he was conspiring with enemy tribes on the borders. And hearing such rumors, the emperor issued an edict that Lu was to be thrown into prison. 
When messengers raced to lose abode with the news, he began to weep in panic. He said to his wife, I used to live on a few acres of good land in the area least of Xiaoshan, not far from Xi'an. I never had to worry about having enough to eat or whether I would have a roof over my head. Why did I leave that simple life in order to pursue fame and fortune? Now I can only wish in vain for my old life, for my farming clothes of coarse cloth and my dark-colored little pony on which I traveled the roads around Handan. Saying this, he drew his sword to kill himself, but was prevented in the nick of time by his wife. Once in prison, all Lu's allies were killed. Lu himself narrowly avoided death only because some eunuchs put in a good word for him to the emperor. He was instead exiled to a distant, tropical southern province. But in a few years, the emperor learned that he had maligned Lu, and he was once again summoned to the capital and given the title of the Duke of Zhao. The emperor treated Lu very handsomely indeed to make up for his previous harshness. For example, Lu had five sons, and each of these five sons were given important positions in the imperial court. The youngest son, in particular, was both wise and virtuous and was promoted to a high position at the age of only 24. And the Lu family made connections and marriage to families of great repute, and Lu had more than a dozen grandsons. Lu Sheng was then sent on two missions to Lingnan in the south, from which he returned even more heavily lauded than before. And he finally attained the position of prime minister. In his 30-odd years at court, he gained honors and a reputation without rival in all the land. Now that he was old, he felt that he could enjoy his twilight years. The dancing girls in his abode were the most beautiful in China, and the emperor had given him countless rich fields, splendid palaces, and fast horses. And whenever he asked the emperor for permission to retire and return to his childhood home, it was denied. When Lu fell ill, he was waited on hand and foot by palace eunuchs, and the most famous doctors came to bring him the best medicines. And when he was close to death, he said, Ah, I was once a scholar in Handan, and I spent my days plowing the land and planting vegetables. And one day good fortune visited me, and I became a court official and was handsomely treated by the emperor. Although I am but a common man, I have given everything I have to serve him. Now, almost without realizing it, I have grown old. I am over eighty and have served many posts. I have come to the end of my life. I only regret that I have not been able to create a more glorious and lasting legacy for the emperor and the dynasty. With this regret, and with many thanks to the emperor for all his kindnesses, I must leave this world. Please pass my words on to the emperor. When the emperor heard this, he said, Oh, the virtuous minister became our prime minister based on his many talents and virtues. He calmed the borderlands and gave sage advice in court. That peace has reigned in China for 24 years is due in no small part to his efforts. Lately, he has been plagued by illness, and just when we thought he was on the point of recovering, he sends word that his illness has grown more serious, and we express our deepest sympathy and will send our best courtiers to visit him. We hope that 
He will take the medicines given to him, calm his thoughts, and focus all his energy on convalescing so that he can once again serve the court. We await the good news of his recovery. But that night, Lu Sheng passed away. And right at this moment, Lu Sheng stretched and woke up, raising his head from this porcelain pillow that the priest lent to him to find himself still on the sleeping mat in the inn. Old priest Liu was still sitting beside him, and the millet that the innkeeper was making for the evening meal was still simmering on the stove, not quite ready yet. Everything was just as he had left it, like Dorothy waking up in Kansas on Auntie M's farm with Toto, Hunk, and Zeke. And Lu Sheng asked the priest, Was this all a dream? Priest Liu replied with a smile, Life itself is like that dream. Lu Sheng sat and pondered those words from this Taoist priest for a long time, and finally said to Priest Liu, I now know all the circumstances of that man's existence, his dreams and ambitions, his glories and despairs, his life and death. And from this dream and what it teaches, I have now found a way to control my own discontent. I have learnt a great deal from you indeed. Lu got up and ceremoniously kowtowed many times to Priest Lu, and without another word, he got up and left the inn. And that's it. The end of the story. It's popularly known as the Golden Millet Dream because Lu Sheng dreamt his epic dream during the period of time it took the innkeeper to cook a pot of millet porridge. And this story has been told and retold who knows how many times all over China and in the Chinese-speaking world going back to the Tang Dynasty in the 8th and 9th centuries. This Huangliang Mei Meng term became the Chinese equivalent of our English pipe dream. If you hear something going on about something completely far-fetched and unrealistic, you could tell them that's just a Huangliang Mei Meng, a golden millet dream. Your club is down 7-0 and you're already into extra time, but you think there still might be a chance? Uh-uh, that's a pipe dream, a Huangliang Mei Meng. So this is a popular Chinese saying for anything that a reasonable person might find pretty impossible. But someone still believes it can happen. That's a Huangliang Mei Meng, a kind of a hope or a dream that is unrealistic, impractical, or unattainable. And so, we bring down the curtain on Season 5 here at the Chinese Sayings Podcast. I'll be back in four weeks with a whole new slate of Cheng Yus for you in Season 6. And a more special than usual, thanks to Emma, who really went the extra mile with that nice translation. She's already hard at work on season six. Jia yo, Emma. Okay, I won't take any more of your precious time. This is Laszlo Montgomery signing off from Los Angeles. And as usual, I thank you for listening, and I look forward to seeing you again for another alluring episode of the Chinese Sayings Podcast.